0: Well, good morning, everyone. Please take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 3 today for our study. John chapter 3 will be starting in verse 22 for our reading as we continue our survey through this incredible gospel account of the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 22, we pick up our account with these words. He who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. And you yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. No one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. May the Lord add his blessing at the hearing and the reading of his word this morning. Well, years ago, I received a phone call at the church I was pastoring, and I could tell on the other end of the line was an elderly gentleman who was talking to me, and he said, "Uh, are you the pastor? I said, yes, I am. He goes, "Uh, do you you have the words up on the big screen at your church so you can read them off the screen? I go, yeah, we do. He goes, oh, good. You know, my wife and I, we've gotten so old, it's easy for us to see the words in the big screen than to see it in the book anymore. And I said, well, that's great. I don't know who you are. He goes, well, could I... Come visit your church this Sunday? Well, sure, I'd be glad to have you come to our church. And and so, sure enough, this older gentleman came. His name was Wayne, and he came to the church to visit with his wife, Dorothy. Now, mind you, they're clearly in their 80s or more as they come to visit. And, of course, we had a very loud rock band going. But uh, every Sunday after church, He'd come up to me and he'd say, oh, Pastor, I really enjoyed your message today. Thank you so much for that today. And every Sunday, like clockwork, Wayne and Dorothy would come out. I'd be greeted. Thank you so much for the message. Thank you for the service. It was so good to be here. One Sunday, after about a year or so of this, he comes up to me and he says, Spread, thank you for the service again today. It was really good. And um, I wanted to talk to you about something. Uh, well, what, Wayne? What's on your mind? Well, a long time ago, when I was in high school, I, uh, I, was, um, I was talking to my pastor then, and I was all set up to be baptized uh, with the church, and, um, uh, but I never got baptized. You see, there was this war, you know, World War II, uh, oh, really? Really? Uh, well, but uh, I'd be happy to help with that. Well, w- would you baptize me? Oh, I'd be honored to baptize you, Wayne. Well, oh, and, my, and my wife, Dorothy, too? Well, sure, I'd be happy to do both of you. That'd be great. So we started to make plans uh, for a service of baptism for Wayne and Dorothy, which was awesome. But for Wayne, even in his 80s, he wanted everyone to know about his commitment to Christ. He was eager to follow Christ in obedience. As we'll see today in our study, we ourselves need to spend time with our Savior. We need to help people identify with Christ. We need to serve God while there's still time, and we need to avoid petty disputes along the way. We need to avoid ministry competition. There's no place for ministry jealousy The real success of any ministry is ultimately God's doing, and we need to remember our roles. We need to have a servant's heart. We need to serve in humility. Along the way, we need to point people to Christ. And as we point out that Jesus is above all, as we encourage others to receive Jesus' testimony, and as we invite others to believe in Jesus, showing others how to obey him, Our sermon series is that you may believe. Our focus today is on the reality that he must increase and I must decrease as John the Baptist said of Jesus. Back to John the Baptist. The last time we saw John the Baptist was in chapter one of John's gospel and now in chapter three we encounter him again. I think I have a map for you. We'll pull that up. This kind of gives you an idea where we are. There's a near near Salim there, and that's where John was baptizing. And this is where we are in our gospel message. In this passage, we get a good glimpse of how John the Baptist did ministry on behalf of his Heavenly Father. And I would suggest that there's a lot we can learn from John the Baptist on how we, too, should be doing ministry as a church. And so I have six spiritual insights on what Christ-centered ministry should look like before we study, let's ask God's help. Would you please pray with me? Our gracious heavenly fathers, we dive into your word this morning. We ask that you would open your truth to us, that we might have access to your revelation. Lord, we know that can only happen through the power of your spirit as you pour into our hearts and lives your truth. Lord, may we receive what you have for us and not miss anything. May we glean from your words those truths that we do need to apply to our lives, to our hearts. So Lord, bless us as we study. Thank you for your presence with us, even now, as we turn to you for understanding, for truth, for enlightenment. We pray all this in your son's wonderful and awesome name. Amen. If you have your sermon notes outlined, here's the first principle, the first truth here. Beloved, we need to spend time with our Savior Again, I don't know to what degree you do that or not. I don't know to what degree you spend time with your Savior, but we need to spend time with him. Notice what it said in verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside. That was up in that area we were looking at on the map a moment ago. Into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them. They're together. They're hanging out. They remained there with them. And I ask, are you spending time with him? Well, how do I do that, pastor? Well, are you reading God's word? Are you spending real time with him in prayer, where you've actually turned everything off for a minute? You've put the phone aside. You've turned the television noise off. And now you focus on praying to him, hearing from him with what he has to say. In John 15, Jesus teaches us that we are to abide in him. He says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Oh. Years ago, Kathy and I had a home in the, the countryside of Wisconsin, the Rolling Hills halfway between Madison and Milwaukee, Wisconsin. It was about 17 acres, a little farmette that we had, and it was beautiful. And there was a bunch of fruit trees. When we bought this property, we had no idea, but there were fruit trees all over the place. And I had a friend of mine who was a cherry farmer, and he liked to go and prune all of his cherry trees. And I said, hey, could you come and help me with my... My trees, my fruit trees, they need some pruning. And he said, oh, sure. His name was Jamie. Jamie came, and he brought his clippers and all of his tools to come work. And I was actually gone while he was doing the work. I came home, and my trees had looked like they had just been destroyed. I'm like, Jamie, what if there's nothing left? You've trashed them all. Well, it says they had been overgrown. They needed some pruning. Pruning. I mean he I mean he whacked them down to the nub. But let me tell you the next year my goodness we had fruit all over the place. Pears and apples and it was awesome. This is what we need. We we need some pruning and maybe after God's done with this we might not look like the way we did, right? And that might be a good thing for us. We need to spend time with our savior. We need to be pruned back. We need to be loved on by him as we encounter his truth, as he deals with us, as he performs heart surgery in us that we desperately need. But secondly here, we need to help people identify with Christ. Notice that it said, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. Jesus and his disciples were baptizing. We'll find later that really the disciples were baptizing on behalf of Jesus. But we have to understand what baptism is. Baptism demonstrates the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And even at this time, before Jesus had gone the cross, it was already representing that reality. Through baptism, you're proclaiming that you have died to self, and now you've risen to new life in Christ. Acts 8.36, you'll recall the Ethiopian eunuch who came to Christ through Philip. And as Philip and he were riding together on the eunuch's chariot, as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he, he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water. And Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. Years ago, uh, our, my oldest daughter approached me one day. says, Daddy, I need to be baptized. She was about five years old. I said, oh, really? You need to be baptized? Why do you think you should be baptized? She said, well, because I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I want everybody to know that I'm going to follow him the rest of my life. I said, well, that's a pretty good answer. So my first baptism I ever did as a pastor was my five-year-old daughter. I baptized her uh, in a lake. It was a pretty cool opportunity. Two years later, my middle daughter turned five. She approached me and goes, Daddy! I want to be baptized. Oh, really? Why do you want to be baptized? Well, because Kelly was baptized when she was five. <laughs> oh, well, I guess we'll see. We'll see. Kind of put her off a little bit. By now, we were at another church, and uh, one Sunday I get, you know, a couple years later, I get a card, you know, filled out with my middle daughter's name on it, Abby Belcher, with her address in it, and the backside flipped over and checked the box baptized I want to be baptized <laughs> So I got that put it on my desk another week goes by I get another card another week another card I got a stack of cards from Abby finally it's an Abby what's going on well I want to be baptized why do you want to be baptized well because I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and I want everybody to know that I'm going to follow him the rest of my life I said that's awesome let's do it let's baptize you Again, I don't know if you've been baptized or not. Jesus was baptizing with his disciples. He asks us to demonstrate our devotion to him as we identify with Christ's work in our life, as Jesus died and was buried and rose again. That's what baptism signifies as we die to self and we demonstrate that we're being raised to new life. It's basically presenting an, an outward example of an inward reality that you're in Christ. And if you need to be baptized, I would be honored and so privileged to be a part of that. This is the process of helping people identify with Christ. And that's exactly what Jesus and his disciples were doing Beloved, we need to spend time with our Savior. We need to help people identify with Christ. But thirdly, we need to serve God while there's still time. Notice what it says in verse 23. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized for John had not yet been put in prison. There seems to be an urgency here with John's ministry as if he knew that his time was almost up. And shortly after this, John is in prison and John was eventually put to death by the Herodians. Beloved, I'd like to remind you that there's been a lot of tragedy in our news these days, a lot of tragedy in our world. Four more people died just yesterday in another shooting in Georgia. The gunman is still on the loose. Seven drowned in flash floods that took place in South Korea in a tunnel where cars were trapped. We've got the ongoing conflict between Russia and Ukraine. Dear ones, life is short. The Bible says that our lives are like a vapor here today and gone tomorrow. The reality is even as you sit there, you are running out of time to do what God has called you to do. You're running out of time to reach out to that person you need to reconcile with. You're running out of time to share the gospel to your co-worker or to have that talk with your family member. You're running out of time to make things right with your mom and dad or with your kids. You're running out of time to make things right with your heavenly father. Just a month ago, our dear brother-in-law passed away in his home celebrating his wife's birthday at age 61. One moment he was there, the next moment he was gone. Praise God, he knew Jesus as his Savior, and he demonstrated a life that was full of fruitful ministry throughout all that he did. Todd wasted no time. Beloved, we need to serve God while there's still time. We need to help people identify with Christ. We need to spend time with our Savior. But fourthly, here, we need to avoid petty disputes. All kinds of things that we argue about that just don't matter. Verse 25, now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. You can kind of imagine what this might have been like, some sort of a religious discussion about Judaism and how best to wash things or people. Now again, we don't really have any idea what this discussion was about other than something about purification rites associated with Jewish forms of ceremonial washings. The only thing we really know is that there was a discussion and apparently it became loud enough that it is mentioned in this context, <laughs> right? If it wasn't all that loud, we'd never hear about it. But we do, here it is. Paul writes to Timothy, a young pastoral protege, Paul says to Timothy, hey, look out, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth, that is, rightly handling this book, but avoid irreverent babble, he says, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. You know what that is? That's infection. That's pus, sorry. That's horrible. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus. And we go, who are those guys? I don't know, but they're gangrenous. (laughs) They're stinking up the joint, right? They're full of infection. We need to rightly handle God's word and avoid irreverent things that just don't matter. Paul goes on to say to Titus and other pastoral protégé, But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. Let's just not go there. I mean, there's some things that are really important, like the deity of Christ. Yeah, we need to talk about that, and that matters. There's a whole host of things that just really don't matter. By the way, this shows up in the home, right? We argue about stuff that just doesn't matter in the home, right? You know, which way did a toilet paper roll go this way or this way? And now we're arguing about stuff that doesn't matter. If you have a cat, don't put it this way. If you will it with all rolled out. Which way do the cups go in the cupboard? Upside right, upside down. Which way is right? What are we arguing about? Does this really matter? Isn't this really an issue of preference? Maybe we should allow people to have other preferences, and that's okay, and leave it at that. We all know that some people are not interested in the truth at all. They just like to argue, or they like to try to prove a point. Don't waste your time discussing conspiracy theories. Oh, God, help us, please. Please don't waste time discussing conspiracy theories. I've had to shut people down at a Bible study whether they want to go off on their conspiracy theory. Like We're talking about the gospel of Christ here. We're not talking about your ideas of how things really are and how you happen to know what really... I I just want to say, you know, of course there's a conspiracy. His name is Satan, right? There's a big conspiracy. Yeah, it's him. He's the problem. Not what you're coming up with. You don't have to look further than that. Beloved, we need to be about working good deeds, not working on petty disputes. But fifthly today, we need to avoid ministry competition. Even in the midst of all that we do as a church, it's very easy to start doing a little one-upmanship. Where did you see what I did in my ministry, and you're not doing so well in yours? Notice what we see here. First of all, there's just no place for ministry jealousy. In verse 26, and they came to John, these guys, about this controversy— and they said to him, Rabbi, that means teacher, he who was with you across the Jordan, referring to Jesus. Basically, hey, John, do you see what's going on with Jesus over there, to whom you bore witness? You know, you said that, that there, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Remember that guy? Look, he's baptizing, and all are going to him. Na-na-na-na-na. doesn't take long for us to be jealous about other people's doings their ministry there's an old cartoon i saw it's about a huge pastors conference that was at a huge arena and there's a guy up front speaking at this arena and there's all these guys all these pastors listening to this one speaker, and there was one bubble, and the bubble, you know, the thought of bubble, you know, the bubble thought above this cartoon went to a bunch of people in the auditorium who were listening to this guy speak, and the bubble only had one sentence in it that all these people were saying in their hearts and their minds, I could preach better than that guy. This is how silly we are. We need to avoid ministry competition. There's no place for ministry jealousy. Ministry is not a competition. We should be delighted that anyone is following Christ no matter what and through who or how. James 3.13, this won't be on the screen, but listen closely. This is important words for us. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. The meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. And you go, oh. When we get arrogant about who we think we are, what we think we know, we're being demonic, Scripture says. Unspiritual, earthy. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. There's a horrible thought. Paul goes on, I'm sorry, James goes on, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Notice that if we're doing ministry well, there should be peace that comes by way of fruit of it. But let if you are looking around and you are selfishly saying to yourself or to others, how come they get to do such and such and I should be the one doing that? You're in sin, plain and simple. This is not a contest. Sadly, I know of one particular pastor who became extremely jealous of all the surrounding large church ministries Sadly, he stayed too long where he was and he ended up running the church he was in into the ground. But he was so sullen, so frustrated and angry and bitter. How can you reach the world for Christ when you become bitter of heart? We need to avoid ministry competition. There's just no place for ministry jealousy. But secondly, the real success of any ministry is ultimately God's doing. Notice what John says. You know He doesn't bite on what's being said Hey, everybody's going out to him. What's John saying in verse 27? A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. John gets it. John gets it that whatever I'm doing is just not about me. It's about him. The real spiritual growth of any ministry is a result of what God brings about anyway. We know this. 2 Corinthians 9.10, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. If this place is to grow, it is because what God is doing, it's not, it has nothing to do with me, it has nothing to do with you. I have no idea how to grow a church. I have no idea how to plant a church. I've done both. I have no idea how to do it. He's going to have to do it. He has to make it, make it happen. Only God can make any real difference in what he's establishing and what he's bringing about. And by the way, just because there's a gob of people thronging to someone or something does not necessarily mean that that work is of God. I'd like to remind you, even Jim Jones of the People's Church in California had thousands under his spell, and most of them ended up Dead. There are all kinds of false prophets and false teachers on the airways today with huge followings. That doesn't mean they're of God. Real spiritual growth, the real spiritual success of any ministry is a result of what God brings about, period. Thirdly here, we need to remember our roles Here, John remembers his role, and he sticks to it. Verse 28, you yourselves bear witness that I said, I'm not the Christ, I'm not the Messiah, I'm not the promised one, I'm just the forerunner guy. I was sent before him, that's all I am. I know my role, I know why I'm here, I know what I'm doing, apparently you people don't. John remembers his role and he sticks to it. He's not out to somehow take something from Jesus or assume Jesus' role. He humbly stays in his lane. We all need to do the same. What is your role? What has God called you to do? Are you all about it? What are you waiting for if you're not? Get after what God has called you to do and then stick to your role that he's presented you with and be all about it. And at the same time, we need to have a servant's heart as we do this. Notice what John says in verse 29 The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly in the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. And we go, Why is he talking about weddings now, and brides and bridegrooms, and the friend? What's all this about? Who is the one with the bride? Well, that's Jesus. Jesus is the groom and the church is his bride. So what does that make John? He's just the friend of the groom. He's the best man. Oh, that's who he is. The best man. Uh, Any guys in the room ever been a best man before? I've had a chance to be a best man. I was a best man once. It's kind of a neat deal. Good, dear friend of mine. Uh, I was his best man and he was my best man. I'll never forget the day that I got to be my dear friend Dan's best man. It was a December wedding. And all I can remember, Kathy and I, we were already married and I'm going to be the best man for my buddy Dan and his wife, soon to be wife Carol. And my thought was, okay, I'm going to be the best man. I am at your service, Dan. Whatever you want me to do. I'm here for you. Whatever you need, you need something. I'm gonna go get it. If you need, if you need a chocolate shake from Steak and Shake, I'm gonna go get one for you. I'm gonna go wherever you want me to go and get you whatever you need because that's my job today is to make sure you have everything you need. I had an absolute riot being Dan's best best man. So much so that we continued it after the wedding and after the reception because Dan was Dan and his wife, his new wife, were gonna be flying out of Chicago. So we drove from Peoria, Illinois all night to Chicago to make sure that he caught his flight. What a blast. We had so much fun. Wasn't necessarily the best wedding night for them because they were spending it with us, but hey, we had a great time anyway. <laughs> but notice what it takes to be the best man. It takes this idea of service. This idea of being available to do whatever is needed. Recently we had our youth group down in Florida and we didn't know exactly all the things we were going to be doing and some of the tasks were quite menial. The trailers that our students and our leaders were working on uh, trying to paint these things, I mean it it was pretty atrocious. The living conditions of some of these people were trying to help. So we're painting these things. Pastor Jim was trying to replace a, a water heater and One of the trailers, and there wasn't even enough wood in the bottom of the flooring to put a water heater in, so they had to construct some flooring. And at one point, as he is installing this water heater in this motor, this mobile home that probably did not have a water heater for who knows how long, as he's working in the hot, I mean, it's a hundred degrees, it's hot. And uh, something's wrong with the septic and it stinks underneath the trailer and he's, he's sweating like crazy. And as he's, he's trying to fit, the, I mean, you're in a crawl space trying to jam this thing in there and as he's working, he feels, well, first he heard a noise. He heard a flush and then he felt stuff on his legs. Right. That's Servanthood got out from under, got the water hose, hosed off, went back right at it, go after it again. Just trying to love people. We need to serve. We need to have the same heart in serving Christ. Relishing, this is how John saw it, I just want to serve my Savior. I just want to be the best man for a day. Relishing the opportunity, not finding it burdensome, nor an inconvenience or annoyance. Our heart should be, I get to do ministry. I'm constantly correcting that with people. I got to go do this. No, you get to go. You get to, you get to go do anything. You realize how many people don't get to do anything? But you get to you go do stuff. Live it up. But fifthly here, we need to serve in humility. And here comes this incredible punchline from John the Baptist. Seven words. Verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. He's on the way up, I'm on the way out. Again, we know this to be true that if you are all about yourself, you lose. Peter reminds us, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. We need to humble ourselves before the mighty. This is Peter speaking. What does Peter know about this? Remember Peter, Mr. Denier guy? God had to deal with him and humbled him, right? Ah, To choose humility as opposed to having it Imposed on you. Oh, that we serve in humility. All I know is that there needs to be a lot less Bradley in my world and a lot more Jesus. I need a lot more Jesus in my life. I need a lot more Jesus in my ministry, in my household, in my marriage. I need more Jesus everywhere. We need to serve in humility, beloved. We need to serve with a servant's heart. We need to remember our roles. The real success of any ministry is ultimately God's doing. There's no place for ministry jealousy. Lastly this morning, we need to point people to Christ. And that's exactly what John does once again. He's constantly pointing people to Christ. Remember, he's the one who says, there he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, and he does it again. We need to point people to Christ, first of all, as we point out that Jesus is above all. He who comes from above is above all, John says. He who comes, that's Jesus. He comes from above. He came from heaven. He's above everyone. He who is of the earth, you can always see him gesticulating to himself. He points to Christ. He who's from above is above all. He who's of the earth, that's me, belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. John continues his discussion about where Jesus stands compared to him. John understood his temporal earthly perspective, his temporal, his temporary position, as contrasted with Jesus's eternal and heavenly perspective. I ask you, what is your perspective? We are finite, He is infinite. We need an infinite perspective. We need to point people to Christ as we point out that Jesus is above all and that secondly, as we encourage others to receive Jesus' testimony. This is exactly what John does again. He says he bears witness to what he has seen and heard. He's talking about Jesus, how Jesus is bearing testimony to what he's seen and heard in that he is God's son. Yet no one receives his testimony. Jesus says he comes from above and nobody's receiving that. Verse 33, but whoever does receive his testimony, whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he who, whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Beloved, as we encourage others to receive Jesus' testimony, we need to point people to Christ. Have you received his testimony? Are there those in your sphere of influence who need to receive the testimony of Christ? Are you pointing people to Christ in how you live, with what you say, with what you do, or are you steering them away from Him? Fourthly, here, sorry, thirdly, here, we need to point people to Christ as we invite others to believe in Jesus. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, He says. Are you inviting people to believe in him? Are they seeing it in you, lived out in reality? Our life should be an open invitation to receive the things of Christ. We need to point people to Christ as we point out that Jesus is above all, as we encourage others to receive Jesus' testimony, as we invite others to believe in Jesus, and lastly here, as we show others how to obey Jesus. Jesus. It's the old adage, you know, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day, (laughs) right? That speaks more volume. We need to show others how to obey Jesus. And this is what John concludes with here. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Man, that becomes a huge warning. It's not very complicated, Those who truly believe will most certainly do what's right and good. If you don't believe, you inevitably will not obey. Those who truly believe will most certainly do. That's what I've seen. Those who are really in Christ will follow after Christ and do the right things, even though it's difficult. I've seen them do it. Those who really don't believe, they won't ever do it. It's too hard. And the ultimate consequence of disobedience to God, that is to disregard his word, to not receive the testimony of Christ, is to experience God's wrath in the end. By the way, this word wrath here in the Greek, this is the only time this word is used in the whole gospel of John. It's the only time, I mean, we never see it in 1st, 2nd, 3rd John either. And I just want to say, you don't want to find yourself under the wrath of God. If you're in Sunday school today, you won't like it. You won't want to be under God's wrath. Here's what one theologian said. His name's Merrill Tenney. He says, "'The word wrath does not mean a sudden gust of passion "'or burst of temper by God. "'Rather, it is the settled displeasure of God against sin.' It is the divine allergy to moral evil, the reaction of righteousness to unrighteousness. God is neither easily angered nor vindictive, but by his very nature he is unalterably committed to opposing and judging all disobedience. The moral laws of the universe are as unvarying and unchangeable as its physical laws, and God cannot set aside either without violating his own nature. The rejection of his son can be followed only by retribution, while acceptance of Christ is the personal appropriation of God's truth, an appropriation that might be compared to the practice of endorsing a check to cash it. Have you endorsed the check (laughs) and received his salvation? Beloved, we need to understand that if we will not receive Christ's testimony— will most certainly sit under God's wrath. If you reject Christ, you are rejecting God's provision for salvation. There's no other remedy for our sinful condition other than Christ. Your morality will not save you. Your bank account cannot save you. Your so-called good works will not save you. Your good intentions will not save you. Only Christ can save you. You need to believe in him and then demonstrate your belief through obedience to him. Have you given your life to him? Do you need to sign your life over to him today? We need to point people to Christ as we show others how to obey Jesus. For those who are in Christ, we should be demonstrating a life that's changed, a life that demonstrates the grace and mercy of all that he is in us through faith. So we set a date to baptize Wayne and Dorothy. And we had it all set up. And I get a phone call about a week before, and Wayne says, I'm really sorry, Pastor Brad, but I'm not going to be able to get baptized this particular week. Um, um, Because of the war, I wrestle with gout, and the doctor says I really shouldn't be in standing water. Um, And so I'm going to have to wait a few weeks so it clears up, and then maybe we can find a different date. So no problem, Wayne. You let me know when you're ready, and we'll make it happen. We'll, we'll baptize you when you're ready. So several weeks go by, and we schedule the date for Wayne and Dorothy's baptism. And so now I'm in the baptismal tank of the church, and here's Wayne. He's this little guy He had served in World War II. And I asked Wayne, I said, Wayne, where were you 60 years ago today? He goes, well, I was on the beaches of Normandy. (laughs) I'm like, what? 60, isn't God awesome? You guys, there wasn't a dry eye in the place. This little bitty guy who as an infantryman infantryman, had walked from the beaches of Normandy all the way to Germany as a soldier and still wanted everyone to know that I'm determined to follow Christ. I said, Wayne, what's it like being here in this water compared to the waters of Normandy? He goes, oh, I'd much rather be here. He said, yeah, I bet. There's no sniper fire where we were. But what an amazing testimony. Sure enough, we baptized Dorothy too. Faithfulness. Beloved, we need to spend time with our Savior. We need to help people identify with Christ. We need to serve God while there's still time. Even in his 80s, he's proclaiming Christ. Wayne did. We need to avoid petty disputes. We need to avoid ministry competition. We need to always, always, always keep pointing people to Christ. I hope that's your heart for our ministry. These are some pretty good principles that we should be doing our ministry with. I invite you to join me. Please stand as we close our service today. Our Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your incredible work in our lives. We thank you for how you ordain things. You bring things about that are beyond what we can possibly understand. All those years ago, with uh, giving me the high privilege of baptizing Wayne at exactly the right day, exactly the right time. God, you're incredible with what you can do if we would just trust you and walk with you. But, Lord, may we be a people that keeps pointing people to you, no matter how old we are. That we might proclaim your goodness. That we might help people identify with who you are. That we might help them walk in obedience. Lord, that we as a people would avoid silly controversies that don't matter. And invite people to receive Christ at all times. May we do that uh, with a heart of service, with all humility, as we spend time with you, getting to know you more fully, spending time in your words, spending time in prayer, listening to who you are and what you have to say to us through your incredible word of truth. But we thank you for the ministry of John the Baptist, and we thank you for his heart, his determination to decrease as you increase in his life. Lord, may that be the case for everyone in this room as we follow after you, as we receive your testimony, as we believe and find eternal life. May you increase in us, and may we decrease. May you be put forward in a real way that others may see your outrageous goodness. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your revelation to us. Thank you for your encouragement to walking in these things, not just hearing about these things, but to actually walk in it, to to see examples of a guy like Wayne and his wife Dorothy, who are committed to demonstrating the gospel work in their own lives, even in their 80s. Lord, it's absolutely beautiful. May we all do the same. May we not shrink back from your calling. Grow our ministry, we ask, Lord, in spite of ourselves, as we put these principles in practice for your glory, for your purposes. We pray all this in your son's wonderful and awesome name this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you so much for coming. Have a fantastic week. We'll see you next time.